morning. Um, the scripture readings today are from Matthew and Ephesians. So the first reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then our New Testament reading is um, from Ephesians 1, 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have made it through Thanksgiving week so far, unscathed, most of us. If you were traveling this week, maybe this is how you felt, right? And I just want to reverse a few days if you were traveling and picture yourself in an airport waiting lounge. You're surrounded by grumpy, tired passengers, and you're, you just want to get home. And along the way, a family sits in front of you with a little infant, and the baby is cute and starts looking at you and making faces and smiling, and, and so you feel a moment of delight in this travel purgatory. <laughs> But soon the boarding begins and you grab your things, you hop onto the plane, you load your carry-on above, take your essentials and put it down below and put on your ear pods, pull out your device, hop onto the Wi-Fi so you can begin figuring out what movies you're going to watch, right? And you're watching people load on and as the family, you notice the family loads on. But this time they don't look so cute because the baby is screaming. And you see the mom is frazzled because she doesn't want to be that person for the whole flight. Slowly, they make their way down the aisle. The dad's looking at the boarding pass and looking at the numbers to find their seat. And soon, he stops in front of you. And he says, I think we're right here. 
freeze frame. What's going through your brain right now? I know all of you, you know, are trying to live your best lives. You are here at church today learning how to bless others. So your immediate response is amazing. I get to bless this family and sit and help with this screaming child for the next four hours, right? Or probably what's going through your brain is something that should remain an inside thought. Now, I know because, you know, whether you voice your response or not, is it a response of blessing or of curse? Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas once observed, saying this, whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. Whatever is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. That sounds a bit too complicated. Then another proverb paraphrases it well, saying, we receive things not as the way they are, but as the way we are. See, our blessing and cursing of others arises from our own blessed or cursed consciousness. We simply pass on what we are, or maybe better is who we are. You know, so far in this series, we've talked about blessings and curses as a reflection of the value of a relationship. And we also looked at how blessings and curses are set in this grand story of God's blessing of all of creation through Jesus, his son. And last week, we looked at some practical uh, situations where we might bless others in day-to-day lives. But today, we're going to look in our final message at one particular aspect of blessing, which is blessing as giving yourself away. Blessing is giving away some of your life so that someone else might be resourced more in life. And that requires what Catholic theologian Ronald Rollheiser calls blessed consciousness. Blessed consciousness. So I'm relying on his work material for this particular message. It comes from Sacred Fire, one of his books, so you can pick it up for yourself if you want to dig a bit further. So we're going to walk through this in four movements today. One is blessed consciousness. Two is generativity. Three is depression and delight. And four, true delight. So So in our readings today, we encounter two responses to the arrival of Jesus. The scene describes how one generation responds to this next generation coming in. One response reflects a cursed consciousness. The other reflects a blessed consciousness. So it's up on the screen. I won't read it again. But in response to the arrival of Jesus, what do the Magi do? They go and seek him out. They offer him gifts. And then they disappear. We don't even know their names. They're unknown to us. But we know Herod's name. What does he do when he sees the king? He sees a threat to his position as a king, a threat to his name. So rather than give him gifts and honor him, he seeks to kill Jesus. In fact, he seeks to kill all babies, males, born around the same time. Where the former sees new life and blesses it, the, for- the latter sees new life and curses it. The former remains nameless to us, unknown to us, except the Magi, but and their legacy of generosity is known to us. But Herod's who, Herod, whose name we know, we, his legacy is brutal violence and irritation. The former reveals a blessed consciousness. The latter reveals a cursed consciousness. You see, to bless someone fully is really to give away some of your own life 
so that others might be resourced for the journey ahead. The Magi demonstrate this kind of blessing. It's more than a blessing of verbal affirmation. They don't just see Jesus like, oh, what a cute baby. We're so glad to have met him. But they, to bless is to give something away and to die for them in a sense so that they might live. See, we can use our words to bless someone. It literally means to speak well of them. But more deeply underneath, it means to see someone's energy, to see someone's life and honor, and see it as a source of joy and delight rather than as a threat or an intrusion on your life. To bless another person is to look upon them and without any sort of exploitation, without sort of expectation back, to give an attentive gaze or a word of affirmation to say, your life is a joy to me. Your life has value to me. This is what the Magi do for Jesus compared to the threat and irritation of Herod. In the novel Les Miserables, which has turned into a movie, there is a relationship between Jean Valjean, the main character, and this young man named Marius, who is in love with Valjean's adopted daughter, Cosette. At this point, Valjean is an old man, and Marius is a young man. And in some ways, Marius is a threat to Valjean. Because if Valjean's daughter falls in love with Marius, Marius will take away the one love and joy of Valjean's life. So Valjean begins to follow Marius to see, not to bless him actually, but to see what kind of character this young man has. And when he sees Marius join a group of revolutionaries, he finds the boy asleep. That's the screenshot of the, of the movie at that point. But he's, he's asleep physically, yes, but he's also asleep metaphorically. He's asleep to the fact that he is most certainly going to die in this conflict. And Valjean, as this old man, sings a prayer and a blessing over Marius. And in his wisdom, Valjean sees what is in store for this young man, saying this. He prays, God on high, hear my prayer. And then he says to the sleeping boy, look at this boy. He is young. He is afraid. Tomorrow he will die. And he finishes the song saying, let him live. Let me die. Let him live. Let me die. Valjean's prayer illustrates this blessed consciousness. You see, the old should give up their lives for the young. And it's a tragedy when the young die before the old. It's a tragedy when a son dies before his parents. Something that's hit close to home for us. How do we live with a blessed consciousness despite many unexpected things that we confront in life? It seems that living with a blessed consciousness requires something outside of us. The blessed consciousness may also be known as this term generativity. It comes from the psychosocial developmental world. Generativity is this concern for others besides yourself and besides your family that usually develops in, the, in your middle age, around 40 to 65, according to social uh, psychologists. It is especially revealed in this desire to nurture and guide younger people 
but also to mentor others and to contribute positively to society. Now, drawing from the work of developmental psychologist Eric Erickson, who explored this idea of generativity through the different stages of life, allow me to nerd you out with some graphs I made. They're very high tech, okay? If you were to plot productivity in your life over time, it might look something like this. Of course, it changes depending on each person. You know, we kind of grow a little bit at the beginning and then we're trying to figure ourselves out and then we really hit our stride kind of in the middle ages. And then the other one is, the red line is your risk and tolerance level. So around adolescence, you'll see it's very, very high. <laughs> For boys, it probably goes off the charts there. But you see, our wisdom is most, I didn't plot it, but it's at the maximum at the very end of life. So what I propose and submit to you is this difference between risk-taking and productivity is the differential where blessing is most required. <laughs> the blessing of wisdom. Those who are wiser can bless those who are younger to help reduce this differential. And for Eric said, most wisdom often takes place in this final stage of life when we have the ability to look back on our lives with a sense of completeness and closure, even when we know that the end is coming. We have nothing more to prove. There's a wisdom in that. Wisdom, in other words, can be generative. And this wisdom is a sense of fullness, a blessing that can be given away freely without restraint. And in the context of our blessings and curses series, our words of blessings reflect this capacity to bless others. We can use our words, we can use our lives to bless others in a way to give our lives away so that others might live more. But giving our lives away for the sake of others is challenging. We don't naturally have it inside of us, at least for sustained periods of time. So we're going to come back to this in a moment. And although we've been speaking about mostly this capacity to bless between generations and context of human development, you don't have to be middle-aged or older in order to be generative. True, for the first half of your life, you know, we're just mostly trying to figure out how to survive. We're trying to figure out what do we do with our skills and our gifts and to pay off our student debts and to support our families. We're just trying to survive. And much of our earlier middle adult lives are, fi are about figuring out our place in the world. But despite this, the idea of generativity can still be expressed at any stage, especially in the Christian worldview, where we nurture this concern for others that can be conveyed as a blessing or curse. Now, perhaps we do, many of you do desire to live out of a place of blessed consciousness. And maybe you do desire to be generative in your life and bless others. But at the same time, we again recognize our limitations in doing so. So if you're following and you were with us last week, we kind of concluded the message saying, man, this seems really hard. But I, the encouragement is like, recognizing our limitation is perhaps the first step in entering into this life of blessing. You see, what happens is we all live with constricted hearts to some degree. We're unable to live truly and fully into this blessed consciousness, this sense of generativity towards others. And let me submit there's two ways out of this constricted heart. One involves our agency, one involves what we do, and the other involves our receptivity. Rollheiser says this, Thus, it is no accident that we are so obsessed with therapy, with sex, with achievement, 
with intellectual and artistic pursuit and with quick solace in religion. We are trying to free up our hearts. Sadly, for the most part, we are not succeeding all that well. Why? Because the heart is not set free by the intellect, by the groin, nor the hands. It is set free through blessing. Blessing deconstricts the heart. See, we are inclined to use our agency to seek blessing, to accumulate blessing for ourselves through our pursuits. But if you dig a bit deeper, under our actions reveal this very constricted heart. You could say we are living in a depressed state. And when I say depressed state, it's just different from clinical depression where therapy and medication and um, spiritual intervention are recommended and helpful remedies. So it's a different, we're not talking about that kind of depression. The kind of depression I'm talking about is, is this grayness of life, where when you look upon the world, it seems to be robbed of its color, and where we don't see the world as opportunities to bless. This kind of depression might be best understood as the opposite of delight. So this kind of depression is the opposite of delight. So back to Matthew text. When Herod's uh, response, what is where Herod's response, where Herod's response came from a place of this kind of depression, the Magi's response to Jesus came from a place of delight. Herod saw the world through the lens of competition, threat, and scarcity. He viewed kingship, his own kingship, even though it was already kind of uh, uh, handicapped under Roman uh, Empire, under the Roman Empire, he saw his kingship as a zero-sum game. And the arrival of a potential new king me meant that he would lose his power and influence, his sense of blessing. And so he was willing to take any and all measures to eliminate this threat to his blessed sense of blessing. Rather than delight, he saw threat. He saw this world through a depressed state. Or in our spiritual formation language that we've been using here at WCF, he lived a life of anxious control, gripping on to whatever he had. So closed was his heart to the world around him that Herod only finds out about Jesus' arrival when the Magi come to ask him about it. He doesn't even know what's going on in his own region. The Magi, on the other hand, demonstrate delight in the world. They see, or in our spiritual formation language that we've been using, they live a life of yielded trust. A life of yielded trust. They saw the world through the eyes of delight, through the eyes of curiosity. And when confronted with this unexpected star in the sky, what do they do? They get up, they follow it, not knowing where it will take them. They leave the familiar and enter into the unknown. And they ends up approaching them approaching a foreign dignitary, Herod here in this case, and ask him about this king, about this newborn Jesus. Depression causes one to close in on yourself, where delight opens up to opportunity and possibility. And this kind of delight, perhaps if we picture it in our modern contemporary day, is like leaving work, Getting in your car or hopping on the metro or on your bike, getting home, maybe stopping to do some shopping and having dinner and 
perhaps hopping on a Zoom call to catch up with, with someone, when according to Rollheiser, he says this, this is the kind of delight is where you're suddenly aware, consciously or unconsciously, of the joy of being alive, of being healthy, of standing inside so rich a life and spontaneously saying to yourself, God, it feels great to be alive. He continues on. We can go through life being moral, ethical, hardworking, responsible, serving others. Does that sound like a lot of people here in D.C.? We can go through life doing all those things, yet never experience genuine delight. We cannot create moment, a moment like that. God, it feels great to be alive. We cannot do that by ourselves. Delight has to find us. We can help others find it, but never for ourselves. Delight is a byproduct of something else. See, delight and blessing come from blessing others not from seeking blessing and accumulating it for yourself. This is our role. It's our agency. Delight and blessing comes to us when we give ourselves away and bless others, not when we seek and accumulate blessing for ourselves. See, our agency has less to do with getting blessing and more to do with giving blessing. Yet, again, if, we honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we're limited in how much we can give, at least for a sustained amount of time. We are unable to bless others because of our constricted hearts. We ourselves often feel that we are unseen, we're unloved, unwanted sometimes, or carrying a lot of shame. We might even feel that our energy, our health, is a threat to those around us. And this feeling might even be reinforced by the words that we have heard from trusted people in our lives, our parents, mentors, teachers, significant elders. So here's a question for you. As you go back through the movie screenplay of your life, can you remember a time when a significant elder, whether it's a parent, a teacher, mentor, boss, pastor, dean, professor, aunt, uncle, whoever, can you remember someone who has looked upon you and with not, non-exploitative, taking non-exploitative delight in you, in your energies, in your ideas, in your talents, and saying in some way to you, in you, I take delight. Can you think of anyone like that? Also consider, when's the last time that you did the same for someone else? especially someone who's younger, someone who, whose talents might even be a threat to you, who can, and someone you can and something that you should get recognition for, but instead, you are blessing them. Now, we can't force others to bless us, but we can choose to bless others. This is our agency, this is our freedom that leads us out of this constricted heart out of depression, and into a place of delight. And this leads us to our final movement. Giving away blessing requires an unconstricted heart, which involves a heart of receptivity, especially to the one true source of blessing. The Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians with this warmth and delight that we're talking about. 
What does he say? Paul, he introduces himself to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, warmth and delight, opportunity. You may recall at, at this time that Paul writes the letter. It's been about 10 years since he's been to Ephesus on a missionary journey. And since that visit, Paul has been persecuted, he's been arrested, he's accused, and he's now actually sitting in a, under house arrest in Rome when he writes this letter to Ephesus. Yet this letter exudes blessing that comes from a deep sense of blessed consciousness or generativity, using the language that we've been talking about today. This generosity of spirit doesn't depend on what others say about him or what others do to him. It doesn't depend on his circumstance. It doesn't depend on him being set free from the things that are constraining him, at least physically. It doesn't depend on his physical well-being. It is grounded in a historical reality that blesses all of creation. You know, although we only read up to verse 3, Paul goes on, to un- goes on to unpack this spiritual blessing that is found only in Christ. In fact, in the original Greek, verses 3 through 14, which are like probably like 8 to 10 sentences for us in English, is actually one continuous, elegant sentence where Paul is unpacking and showing how the triune God has begun and finished this work of reconciliation and redemption for all of creation through Jesus Christ. Tying back to our, an earlier message in this series, Paul is encouraging the Ephesians, and he's encouraging each one of us as readers and listeners today, that we are, we, that when we come to know Jesus, we are joined into this universal storyline of God's blessing in Christ Jesus for all of creation. And when we talk about every spiritual blessing, it's, it's very easy to read that as some ethereal, conceptual thing. But it's actually very, very concrete. Every whole blessed, spiritual blessing is given to us when we enter into the storyline of through the very presence of God with us. See, G- when we put our trust in Jesus, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, comes and abides in us. The Spirit guarantees the heavenly, uh, the heavenly blessing to come. And so we have every spiritual blessing now. We find that it is in the comforting presence of God that that is what becomes our source of delight, not the blessings that God gives us in this life, materially or relationally. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so when we appropriate this reality, when we appropriate this storyline in faith, we enter into blessed consciousness. We be- can become generative people regardless of our place, regardless of our stage, regardless of our age in life. We can give ourselves away so that others might live. We can proclaim blessings over people's lives because we are full in Christ. And it is not a zero-sum game when we are in the kingdom of God. 
this past Thanksgiving also happened to be my 50th birthday. So thank you for all your greetings this, that you've sent this week. And I'm not sharing this because I'm fishing for more, okay? <laughs> there is a point uh, to this. And it's a setup for this poem from William Yeats, which seemed very appropriate to end our time. Uh, it comes from his poem, uh, Vacillation, the fourth stanza. And I, when I read it, it's like, okay, that's me. I wish it to be me. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat a solitary man. In his crowded London, or DC shop, an open book and an empty cup on the, white, on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed. And 20 minutes more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. Jesus gave himself away so that all who believed in him might have life. So too can we. In Christ, we are truly blessed. So we too can bless.